Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satuna, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. So, Nicole, welcome to Voices in Recovery Podcast. It is lovely to have you here. Um, so thank you for coming. No problem. Um, and I understand this is, if you're nervous, I know lots of people get nervous with this stuff because we just don't know what people are going to think, right? Yeah. And we hope that we're going to say the right things and, and the things that tell our story the most accurately. And that, I think, everybody does to the best of their ability. Well, I was always told that if you speak from your heart, you can't say the wrong thing. And that's, that was my next thing was, Nicole, would you mind just taking it away? And you can speak <laughs> from your heart if you want. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like, it'll, yeah. Well, and I guess the, the usual was, format is like what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Okay, Whatever that well, means for each of us. Let's right? start at the beginning. I, right. I grew up as um, a child of alcoholic parents. Okay. You know, I was never told I was loved. I was never validated. Mm. You know, at a very early age, I discovered I loved to cross-dress. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was just a cross-dresser. I thought it was just a sexual element. Mm -hmm. You know, and just so people know, I'm, I'm a transgendered woman. Mm -hmm. So, okay. And, you know, all through my teen years, like, I started drinking and smoking pot when I was 11 or 12. Mm -hmm in a small town, Slave Lake, up north of Edmonton. And, uh, yeah, just to fit in, because I, 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 I never fit in, you know. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah, so I was a binge drinker and whatnot. I, I smoked pot about daily for, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, but I'd always, you know, I, I skipped school, like, when I was young and wear my sister's clothes. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I thought that's all it was, right? But I, I thought I was broken and defective, mm -hmm. you know, because th this was this late 70s, early 80s and 90s, and uh, there wasn't a lot of transgender people. Mm -hmm. And the ones you saw were either in porn or they were mocked. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my earliest memories of uh, a trans person in media was a character played by John Lithgow in the world according to Garp, mm -hmm. and he was mocked in it, mm -hmm. you know, and it, he was sort of a caricature, like a, mm -hmm. right, you know, but, you know, through the years, I, I 
you know, my, my cross-dressing became associated with my addiction. Mm. You know, when I, when I wasn't under the influence, I was, I tried hard to be the man, a man. You know, I worked 20 years in the oil field, mm -hmm. and, but when I get high and whatnot, Nicole would come. Mm -hmm. You know, Nicole would come out. You know, so for a lot of years, you know, and, uh, you know, I was just a drinker and I dabbled in, you know, in the mushrooms and um, acid and, you know, but every once in a while do some lines of coke on a Friday night. But it was in 95, you know, that I uh, discovered uh, rock cocaine, freebase. That was pre-crack days. <laughs> In Alberta, right? I still remember when they called it uh, rock cocaine and not crack. Yeah. Yeah, because you couldn't buy buy it on the streets. You had to cook it yourself. Mm -hmm. But that that's getting a little ahead of the story. So that's okay. You know, we can go I, I was like, you know, like, we're get, we're getting into the nineties now, but um, I'm obsessed about this. Well, how to how to share my story before, mm -hmm. but uh, you know. There's so many, like, I, the fine details aren't the big point. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, even growing up as a, a teenager, you know, I'd be hanging out with friends and all that, and you know how boys are with uh, objectifying women and all that. And so we'd see a, a, a hot-looking girl, and uh, I'd make the same comment, oh, yeah, I want to do her, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. But in the back of my head, there was a thought that was, hmm, I wonder what that coat, those would feel, it would feel like mm -hmm. to wear that. Mm -hmm. Or I'd see a girl with chipped up fingernails, mm -hmm. you know, and I thought, oh my God, if I could wear my, have my nails done pretty, they'd mm -hmm. be done nice all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, like those thoughts were, you know, and, and, and I'd be, you know, I felt shame from those thoughts, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that, that, and I was, I was always afraid of being discovered. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'd wear my sister's clothes, my mother's clothes, whenever I could get away with it and all that, you know, and then I was on my own. And so I'd, I'd make trip like I lived in a small town. So there was always fear, like, mm -hmm. you know, people would find, we'd find out there was a gay person. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, they'd, they'd have left town because of the bigotry and the closed mindedness, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was an oil field and uh, uh, lumber town, mm. so so not the most accepting, tolerant <laughs> no. place on planet Earth. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, you know, and plus it was uh, probably sixty percent indigenous too. Mm. So, but you know, but I, I still indulged, and I, I you know I couldn't control. I, I had to, mm. you know. And then, like, you know, I'd go to the city and I'd hit the thrift shops and buy clothes. Mm -hmm. You know, every once in a while I'd purge. I'd throw everything away. I'm never doing that again. Mm -hmm. The guilt, the shame, the fear of being discovered. So my life in my addiction was ruled by guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. So, and in 1995, I was at risk of losing my job. You know, I, I'd been up all night. Uh, I blew out two thousand dollars on cocaine and and gambling and drinking. This was shortly after VLTs came out, mm -hmm. and uh, I couldn't make it to work. So I called my two O push, and 
because I was working on a service rig at the time. It was Derek Hand, and he said, well, I'm phoning the office and you'll, you'll be fired. So I phoned the office before he had a chance to and confessed that I had a drug problem. Mm -hmm. Now they couldn't fire me. Yeah. So I, this is, and I was, you know, I was a very good manipulator throughout my addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, so the office told me, well, figure out what you want to do and let us know. So I, I, that was my first time I went to treatment. Mm -hmm. I went to the ADAC day program in Edmonton. You know, it so happens I had, when I was high, I'd stolen a couple pounds of pot from a party. So mm -hmm. I was being hunted. So I, I packed a couple duffel bags full of what I could carry and hopped the next Greyhound out of town. I had to run. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I ended up in Edmonton. I went to the day program. You know, I ended up doing it twice in a row for six weeks, and I was on disability from my work. Mm -hmm. So this was 95, and I was taking home $1,488 every two weeks mm -hmm. on short-term disability. That's not bad for back then, hey? It's, it's not bad for today. It's not bad for today, actually, yeah. <laughs> the math took me a second. It's almost 3000 a month take-home. That's right. So, but yeah, so, That's pretty good. you know, I never went back to slave work. Mm -hmm. Uh, next time I actually went to that town was on my 25th high school reunion in 2012. So, mm -hmm. But now I was in Edmonton. I had more access to clothes. I was living in the basement suite in my mother's house. And uh, just partying. I, you know, I, I was going out of town. I'd, I'd stay clean and sober while I was out of town and whatnot. And eventually that was getting harder and harder to do. I was drinking a lot more. Mm -hmm because it was accessible everywhere. You know, I was working yeah, and staying in hotels. Every hotel had a, a lounge in that you had signing thing. You could just sign away, it would come off your paycheck. Mm -hmm. So I drank a lot. But, and then, then my next time, you know, and then I was, I was at risk of losing my job again. So I went back into Henwood in 1998, you know. And you know, all right, one thing I wanna add is because of my uh, struggle with my sexual identity and my gender identity mm -hmm. throughout the years. I never developed relationships. Mm -hmm. I thought I wasn't worthy. I thought I was defective. I thought I was mm -hmm. broken. I thought I was a pervert. Mm -hmm. I thought I was sick. Because that those were the messages that people like that received in at that mm -hmm. time. You know, if you're if you want, if you like women's clothes and all, you're just a pervert. If you're different at all as a man, you're a pervert. Yeah. Yeah. You know. There was, you know, very, very specific gender roles, mm -hmm. and if you didn't conform to those to the T, you were a freak. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. I sure do. You yeah. know, and as a bisexual man, I do. <laughs> but yeah. you know, so yeah. you know, so like, and now now I'm in Edmonton, and I'm getting high, and I have more opportunity to explore my sexuality so I'd be mm -hmm. on stone I lived just off Stony Plain Road in Edmonton and there was peep shows and mm -hmm. you know where you go in the booth and anonymity you know someone yeah. uh, some, uh, a penis would come through the wall and you do what you do right mm -hmm. but I didn't like that I didn't like men mm -hmm. so that, that that's that's another conflict I had mm -hmm. you know I thought it was okay I'm gay I like you know but but I didn't like men so and I didn't understand like there there wasn't any information out there mm -mm. about transgenderness about mm -hmm. you know being a transgender lesbian woman 
Well, but this was this is such an interesting point that you bring up, and I don't mean to dis disrupt your story. I apologize if I get you off. No, no, no. Off the street, but to me, because I I don't understand. I'm not trans, right? So the the I, I think what I but what I do understand is that I don't know. That's what I understand. See, I'm still struggling with it. Yeah. There's stuff I don't understand about myself. Yeah, and so you're but just trying I just to know it's it true. Yeah. You know, like, my obsession with, uh, like, when, once I accepted I was trans, mm -hmm. the obsession was gone. Yeah. And, and so uh, that, that just validated that I was who I thought I was. Mm -hmm. But that's quite a ways later in the story. <laughs> For sure. I, I, but think anyways, I just wanted to point out that not, you know, not all trans women are going to be attracted to men. Or, you know what I mean? There's you know? not a defined role there. And I think that probably surprises a lot of people who aren't in the two-spirit LGBTQ community, yeah. right? And, and it, you yeah. know, and it, was, it was a huge stumbling block for me because, mm -hmm. you know, I thought, like, you know, what we trans men want, or women, you know, trans women were men who thought they were women who wanted to be with men. Mm -hmm. That was a popular opinion. Yep. Still is opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So, like... You know, that's why a lot of transphobia existed back mm -hmm. then, especially because we wanted to trap men, mm -hmm. right? We were trying to fool men. Well, then, we were, and that was when gay men were pedophiles, right? Yeah. And now it's trans are pedophiles, yeah. right? This whole this whole thing is just all, all... It's all it's all fueled from fear, yeah. fear, fear and lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's why our education is so important. Yeah. But anyways, back to the story. So we're, mm -hmm. we're going into 98. I went to Henwood. And there I had met a girl. And we ended up, we didn't, we didn't get together in Henwood. But we, uh, a couple of weeks after we left Henwood, we were both relapsing. And I phoned her. And she invited me over. I moved in the next morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, and so we we enabled each other for about a year and a half, mm -hmm. and that was the only serious relationship I've had in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't been in a relationship since two thousand one, and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I I do want to find a partner eventually, mm -hmm. but I need to be find out. I need to find myself first completely. I'm still discovering that. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I really appreciate that you're honest and upfront about that. I, I and that's one of the things I appreciate you about you in general that I've gotten to know you is that you're just very upfront and honest about your journey, right? About well, what I've learned, like I've been through 11, 10 treatment programs. I've been mm -hmm. through detox 16 times. Okay. I've, you know, I've done year-long treatment programs. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I consider myself intelligent. I you know, would say you're quite because, intelligent. And I, my, my actual opinion is addicts are either well above average intelligence or below. Mm. We're not normal. We're not average by any means addicts. So, but anyways, where was I? 98. Oh, yeah, no, this, I'm up to 2001 oh. when I... Sorry. But with the, with the girlfriend, even though she mm. was tiny... I still had access to clothes. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, near the end of the relationship, I found out she was, like, we. I was still working on the rigs. You know, I was working up in Grand Prairie. The, the company paid for a hotel suite for me. She moved up there. We had a double, queen, two queen-size beds and a kitchenette. 
And one day she went home to see her family and never came back, left mm -hmm. her clothes. So I had this trove of clothes, you know. But, you know, and then I went through treatment program. I went to Henwood again in 2000, shortly after that. It didn't work because I never went for the right reasons. And I always held something back. That old saying in, in, in 12-step programs is our secrets keep us safe, mm. sick. Sick, yeah. You know, and, and that's the one thing I never talked about mm. was my cross-dressing. I did do it in a step five. Mm -hmm. I talked about it. I did a step five with uh, the pastor at Sacred Heart Church in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what his name was. I think it was Pastor Mike. Mm -hmm. But he'd done, a, at the time, he was the go-to in Edmonton because yeah. he'd done upwards of 7,000 step fives. Mm -hmm. You know, he was inner city and... Yeah. And uh, I did I, I did confess some stuff to him, but it was still a secret. Mm -hmm. I still hid it. I, I, you know. Sounds like it was kind of hidden from yourself too a little bit, right? Well, because if I wasn't high, I didn't embrace it. Because I had, I had six years where I didn't touch my drug of choice, which was crack cocaine. Mm -hmm. I was drinking, but I never indulged. Like, I went from, I guess, 2010 till... March of 2016, where I didn't dress, mm -hmm. I didn't, and, um, yeah, so, and my mom had passed, like, I'm going to backtrack a little bit, I, mm -hmm. I, like I said, I was in my basement suite with my mom from 95 till 2007, mm -hmm. and this was, and she tried to kick me out a couple of times, I wouldn't leave, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was, um, I'd, I'd get dope for all my fr oil field friends from up north. They'd come in, and so I had I got lots of free dope. You know, my mom's best friend was a pot dealer, mm -hmm. and her son was a crack dealer for the Hell's Angels. Mm -hmm. So I had you know, mm -hmm. so I had access. But the, the those details of my using aren't that important. It's I want to talk more about. The feelings and the motivations behind my using, yeah, because that that's where the the healing happened, right? Mm -hmm. So, eventually, she was house poor. She was just on. She was on a pension. She took a Ralph Klein buyout when he downsized the government, mm -hmm. and but she was struggling, right? And uh, she tried kicking me out because I wasn't a very good person. I'd rob from her. Mm -hmm. I, you know, she tried everything and. You know, I treated her like crap, because that's how she taught me to treat people mm. growing up. You know, it was all about me, because she made everything about her. Mm. But that, there's a lot of lot to unpack in that relationship. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Because yeah. they were broken people raising broken people, mm. you know, and that's intergenerational. Sure. You know, her parents, you know, she was born at the end of the Depression. Mm. You know, in, in the mid thirties, yeah. so was my dad, and my dad was a raging alcoholic, and he passed away when I was eighteen in nineteen eighty seven in a car accident. You know, so there was a lot of unresolved issues mm -hmm. there. But anyways, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's okay. I, I've you know I've accepted it, mm -hmm. but uh, back to two thousand seven, she couldn't kick me out. I wouldn't leave. So she uh, sold the house, mm -hmm. <laughs> and she wouldn't tell me where she was moving. Mm -hmm. She didn't want me to know. Yeah. So that was my first time I was homeless. Mm. 
you know. Um, that must have been pretty rough to you having your mom not tell you where she's going. Well, uh, during this period, just shortly before that was the first time she told me she loved me mm. in my life that I yeah. can remember. And the words she used, you know, says, my name was, I was, I was male, and I went by David. She said, David, you know I love you, but I don't fucking like you. Mm. That was, so, that, there was a lot of, that, that fucked me up for a lot of years. Because mm. the only time I can remember my mom telling me she loved me, she also told me she didn't like me. Mm-hmm. But I was a very manipulative person, mm-hmm. you know. You weren't doing a whole bunch of a whole bunch of stuff that was likable by her. No. Yeah. Like she was she was a very like she helped out in the community. She mm-hmm. was part of the Legion. She volunteered for the Alberta Lung Association. Mm-hmm. And she would have money and I found out where she stashed the collection envelopes and I I think over a two week period I stole like eight thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So I still I, but she never she never asked me about it. Because there was checks and all that and she just turned the envelopes in. But anything that was cash disappeared. Mm. But, you know, that's, you know, you know those are uh, amends I can't just make. Mm. There's no record of it. So I make it in other ways by giving back to society. I was going to say that. You I was going to say, I think you give it back in other ways. We haven't got there yet. You know, so I ended up getting a place after a bit. I got on, I went to another treatment program, Henwood again, I think it was, or something. And I got on welfare, and I learned uh, a way to manipulate the system. Mm-hmm. Go to detox, go to treatment, get on assistance, and you'll get rent supports. Mm-hmm. It was a lot easier back in 2010s, 12s. Mm-hmm. But it, it was this time, in about 2010, after getting homeless again, and um, when I was homeless, I, I did have a phone number from my mom. She took me in again. I was living mm-hmm. in her basement because I was starting a plumbing apprenticeship. Okay. So, yeah. Because uh, that was a man's job, right? Mm-hmm. I worked the oil field for 20 mm-hmm. years or a little better because that was a man's job. So mm-hmm. I'm a man, right? So I, I did masculine, I, you know, and mm-hmm. I always worked physical jobs. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so she, she, she was giving me a chance, but I was using. Mm-hmm. It was just harder in a one-bedroom apartment when I was living in the living room. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I ended up doing a year and a half. I got my first year, so I'm a second year plumber. And then she passed away. Mm. Right? So, and just before she passed, like, she got in a car accident. And she languished in a hospital room on a ventilator for eight months because she had a perforate. She she had undiagnosed internal injuries, and and long story short, she wait. It took nine nine months for her to pass away. Mm. And on the day she passed away, my sister phoned me. I have a brother and a sister, by the way. A younger brother, older sister. We're all one year apart. You're the middle. Yeah. Of course you are, David. The old name, that's my name, David, I'm the middle, yeah. But anyways, you know, she, my sister said mom slipped into a coma, she probably won't make it through the mm-hmm. night. And I was, this was near the end of my plumbing apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, well, it wasn't the end of it, it was when it ended, <laughs> right? I, you know, I just got home from work when the call came, 
I got home from work. I made a call to my dealer because it was payday. Mm -hmm. The call came in uh, from my sister. I hung up from her, and my dealer was outside. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting high about 3 a.m. that night. And I got a call from the hospital that my mom had passed. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of guilt from that. For sure. <laughs> so... But, you know, then about six weeks later, I ended up homeless again. Mm -hmm. So I went to detox again. I think this was the third or fourth kick at detox. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, uh, and I, so, and the day I got out of detox, probate had cleared on her will. Mm -hmm. So I got twenty six thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was hookers and hotel rooms, as and that's the first time I, I uh, indulged in a transsexual hooker. Mm. You know, so you know because I, I needed you know, and I was so high. Uh, I we eventually had sex, but I wanted her to do my makeup and dress mm -hmm. me up. Mm -hmm. You know, so. And stuff like that. So I, I did a lot of exploring, but, you know, I'm not going to go into a lot of details about it, you know. Okay, if you do, whatever, you, whatever you're comfortable yeah, with. When it's irrelevant, you know. Yeah. You know, and, and, like, that cost me $700 for two hours. <laughs> they mm. weren't cheap, you know. They're usually not. Her name was Alexis. I still remember, mm. you know. I was staying in a not the greatest hotels and, you know. Mm -hmm. But... um. And uh, so, the, yeah, around this time, I, I you know, because when I was in detox, I had applied for Henwood. Mm -hmm. I had about a, mm, uh, six weeks till my Henwood date. Mm -hmm. And in that six weeks, I blew that 26000 mm -hmm. So I was, the last couple of nights, I stayed at a friend's, and he took me to Henwood. So I went through Henwood, then I went from Henwood, I went into Recovery Acres Edmonton mm -hmm. for a six-month program. And when I got out of there, I had housing. Mm -hmm. So I had my own place and whatnot. And I did okay for a few months, and then a, a person that I was plumbing, a plumber, that I had met in Henwood, or uh, Recovery Acres, came by. He was relapsed and working up in Fort Mac, and... So every couple of weeks he'd come into town with a bunch of money and get high at my place. And I met a girl and we were getting high and then one day I ordered a pizza. Because we'd been up for five or six days without any food as we did. Mm -hmm. And uh, the pizza delivery came. But between the time I ordered the pizza and he arrived, the girl went to get some more. I think we were doing math at the time. Because uh, we were broke and we mm -hmm. couldn't afford the crack. Mm -hmm. The pizza guy arrived, and I was living in a basement suite. And I met him halfway up the stairs. He handed me the pizza, and I, and I pretended I didn't have my wallet. So I took the pizza, I went back into my suite, and locked the door. Mm -hmm. And I told him he was beat. So he leaves and flags a cop down on mm -hmm. just a couple of blocks away and brings them back. So I'm eating the pizza. <laughs> the girl still hasn't come back with any more drugs. And the cops show up. Well, the pizza delivery guy had told the cops that I had pushed them and took the pizza. Mm -hmm. 
So I I end up finishing the pizza, having a quick shower while the cops are outside, getting angrier at me. Mm -hmm. And then I finally went outside, got arrested, went in front of the justice of the peace. He held me without bail. So automatically I got 30 days before I can Mm -hmm. get released. And ultimately, long story short, they charged me with robbery with violence in one of three years. Wow. For a pizza. And there was a donor too. That must have been the extra time they were asking for. Right? <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know. But what anyway, so so <laughs> so remand was I was in the overflow remand, but I so I got shipped to the Fort Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Long story short, they kept offering me. I said no, no, no. They came back with eighteen months and a year. Finally, at nine, I think it was day ninety five, they said, "Well, we'll give you time served and eighteen months probation." Mm-hmm. I said, "Fine, okay." And. Uh, I got released, right, and uh, they dropped me off, the police dropped me off at the LRT, I had in my, in my pocket, I had $3, and half a pack of smokes, and the clothes I was wearing when they arrested me. My basement suit had been cleared out, everything went into a dumpster, except my mail, which my sister, and I was getting subsidy checks from Capital Region Housing for $353 that my sister was depositing in my account. And so I'm homeless again with just the clothes I'm wearing. They drop me at LRT. I take the LRT downtown to the, and it just so happens there was an NA meeting that night at the Mm. Central Library in downtown Edmonton. And I went to it, it was a three year birthday meeting. So I had cake. (laughs) Right on. So I went, and then I went to the Hope Missions Herb Jameson Center, because mm-hmm. I talked to some people there, and they said, okay, and they had a, what they called was the breakout program. Mm-hmm. It was a Christian-based uh, one-year treatment program. Mm-hmm. It was not funded by the government. It was all, because it was Christian, so it was all funded by private donations. It was free. Mm-hmm. So I took that program, and I completed it. And that was in November, or that was in August, September of 2011, mm. 2010. So in November of 2011, I finished that pr- program and I got a job with Hope Mission. I ended up working for Hope Mission from November 2011 till July of 2016 mm-hmm. or 2017. Right on. Yeah, and that's where my desire to help was fostered. Mm. You know, but I worked nights for most of it. I worked on the rescue van. I did a lot of different roles in, in mm-hmm. Hope Mission. And I, I, I loved the work. I was, you know, I had my own place. But I started drinking because I, as a, you know, I didn't indulge in my, like I was, throughout this time I was dressing up and all that up until I got arrested in jail. And this is, I start, and I went six years without dressing. Without in without uh, access without allowing Nicole, and then it was my mom's birthday in 2017, and the night before in the shelter I had found some meth on the floor, mm-hmm. and I was on my way to flush it and dispose of it when there was a serious incident because I was I was team lead at the time, mm-hmm. so I just stuffed it it was in my yeah. pocket and when I got home I I threw everything on my and I was very melancholy on my mom's birthday, and I saw it there. I had been drinking. 
Mm-hmm. And, I, and I had to work, so I did a line. And that was one of the worst relapses I had, mm. you know. And so I relapsed, and I, for next thing I know, I'm at a thrift store buying everything. I go to um, um, a clothing store for drag queens and all mm-hmm. that. I get ultra high heel, and I, I just go nuts because Nicole had been pent up so long. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that's when I started discovering who I was. Mm -hmm. I started to realize that it wasn't just a perversion, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so where were you? Oh, yeah. So I ended up homeless again after a period, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because I relapsed. So... I went and told my boss, so I had to do a treatment. I had to do a three months of treatment before I could go back to work. So I went to the Salvation Army program this time. It was called uh, Transformations, finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oddly enough. But there was no phones and all that. And, and at this time, I, was still, I still had my basement suite. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm a, I was a very good manipulator, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm on, I'm on um, medical ER. I'm taking home two, just under 2000 a month, mm-hmm. you know. The program costs $1,260 a month, but I can't afford to keep my basement suite and do the program. So I managed to talk welfare, convince welfare, uh, social, uh, Alberta Works mm-hmm. to pay for the breakout program while I was on unemployment. Mm-hmm. So they paid for the program, so I'm taking home 2000 a month in program. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, yeah. So, you know, I, I was... Uh, one week away from completing the program, and that's when the new arena opened in Edmonton. Okay. And I had a cell phone at home, right? And I had taken it to, we, had, we got, we, we were offered, there was free tickets. So I went and did a tour of the arena, but I went and got my phone. Mm-hmm. And it was lunch, uh, supper time, and I was having supper, and my phone fell out of my pocket. And we weren't allowed to have access to our cell phones. Mm. So it was on account. So they kicked me out of that program. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get a certificate, even though it was a four-month program and I had done three weeks, three months and three weeks. Mm-hmm. It wasn't enough because I didn't get the paper at the end. Yep. I couldn't go back to my job. So I ended up having to do three months in the breakout program. Mm. So I finished that. I got back to work. And I lasted about six months before I relapsed again. Because during my last relapse, I had let Nicole out. Mm. And there was still too much shame and fear and uh, associated with Nicole that I couldn't allow myself to be Nicole without the drugs. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, I couldn't not... Uh, um, indulge in my in that part part of my life, mm-hmm. so because I couldn't do it without drugs, I had to get drugs. Yeah, you know, it's it's just the twisted logic of the addicted addicted mind, because mm-hmm. it was the the guilt and the shame and the fears were so instilled in me from my gro- from the culture of the t- of my gro- my my youth and growing up that I wouldn't allow. You know, 
And I didn't have anybody to talk to about it because mm -hmm. I isolated myself so much. I had no real friend. I had one. Mm -hmm. Her name was Arlene. You know, she was my mom's, the daughter of my mom's best friend. We met in like 1981. Mm -hmm. We're still friends today. She's one of the few people I talked to from before I came to Calgary. Mm -hmm. And eventually I, uh, you know, lost my job. I had a friend from the oil field. He took, I went up to Valley View and, and, and to work for a company he owned. I lasted there about six months and then I ended up back in Edmonton uh, after he fired me. I quit or he fired me or what, I'm not even sure what happened. Mm -hmm. But I was homeless, I was back at the Hope Mission and I did the breakout program again. And where am I? Okay, this is, yeah, so I completed the breakout program, moved into their transitional housing, which was called Green Manor. Mm -hmm. 500 a month. Um, I was just on, I was selling cigarettes by this time. Mm -hmm. I found a friend and I was selling cigarettes on the side. And I didn't have a car yet. I was still walking and so I just sold in the inner core. Mm -hmm. And I, I was making, you know, three or four thousand a month doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was making decent bank and I relapsed again. Mm -hmm. And as you can, they 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 got me into our house. Mm, okay, I've okay. Heard of our house, yeah. This is this was in uh, spring of twenty nineteen, March. Mm. So I go into March in twenty nineteen, and I, and I, uh, I I I the the guy doing the intermission's name was Michael, a gay man, mm -hmm. and he. Liked me so much, he assigned me himself as my counselor. Mm -hmm. So, and we still talk today. We're friends now. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so I'm in our house doing well. I'm selling cigarettes mm -hmm. in the program. <coughs> I'd not, I, and I bought a car off a friend who is in desperate means. So I, I really got a good, real, real good deal. It's the car I drive today still. Mm -hmm. Right on. So it's still you know, doing good. And uh, so, I, and now that I have a car, my cigarette business is taking off, mm -hmm. and I'm starting to move 400 cartons a month, mm -hmm. and three to 400, and I make anywhere from 10 to 22 dollars a carton. Okay. So I'm not too bad. You know, but I'm also spending about four, three to 400 a week on gas, because mm -hmm. if I'm not in program, I'm out. You know, and then I'm eating a lot of fast food. Blah, blah, blah. But anyways, this is another uh, example of my manipulation, how I can. Okay, uh, so come November, my friend Arlene, the one I said I'm still friends with, mm -hmm. I've been f friends with 40 years, had a, a, an awesome deal with WestJet. She had a, a, I had free airfare. All I had to do was pay for a resort, and mm -hmm. she want, offered me a trip to Jamaica. But keep in mind, I'm in program. Mm -hmm. Program my year programmed programming doesn't end till March. This is middle of, beginning in November. So I talked to Michael, mm -hmm. and I convinced him it was a good idea to let me go to an all-inclusive resort in Jamaica for eight days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so he went to bat with me with the rest of the treatment team, and they let me go. 
So I still argue about that. He says, I still can't believe I let you go to Jamaica. <laughs> I bet. I bet he's like, what like the how, hell? Many, how many people are in a year long treatment program who go to Jamaica for a vacation? Zero. <laughs> well, zero that make it back. Well, I made it back. Good. So but I was drunk the whole time I was there. Mm-hmm. I was drunk before I left Canadian airspace. Mm-hmm. You know. But, you know, I was going to Margaritaville and all that. And the hard part was not buying the cheap cocaine in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. See, I could so I could be sober when I went back because I knew I had to do a drug test and uh, mm-hmm. and a breathalyzer before I could go back. Once as soon as I walked into onto the property, I, I had to do that, right? Yeah. So I knew I couldn't do any drugs. Alcohol, you have 24 hours, mm-hmm. no symptoms, right? No, no, you, there's nothing they can prove. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't post any social media of me with a drink. You know, mm-hmm. so the the lengths we go to hide it, hey? Like we'll go to any lengths oh, to hide it, and, and we're very good at it. Oh yeah, really but, good. But you know, and, and uh, one of my biggest regrets was that I didn't come out to Michael. Mm. You know. And I eventually, the director, he was forced by another client into uh, doing a vehicle search. Mm-hmm. And this is in February, I think it was. Like a you month know. before you're done? Yeah. Yeah. And I ended up getting kicked out for selling contraband cigarettes. Mm-hmm. It just so happens I had reloaded the night before and picked up like 200 cartons of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't, and just because of the time, I had to get back for curfew, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't make it to my storage unit to put them in, because I had a storage unit Mm -hmm. five blocks away, but it closed at nine. So I I just couldn't make it in time. Mm -hmm. So I had 200 cartons in the backseat of my car. (laughs) And he- Looks strange. (laughs) Definitely a weird looking car. What? <laughs> Definitely well, a weird were, looking they were cardboard boxes. You didn't know what was in them. No, for sure. But when they searched the vehicles in the morning, yeah. I got kicked out. Mm-hmm. So I relapsed again. And I ended, ended up homeless mm-hmm. a couple months later. And so I'm homeless. And this is the weekend before COVID lockdown, hardcore. Mm, gotcha. So I was, I was staying in yeah. a hotel. And this is when push came to shove I couldn't not accept who I was this is when I the process of accepting Nicole and becoming Nicole start really truly started Mm -hmm. so I'm in a hotel in Edmonton getting high because I had like I don't know ten or fifteen thousand dollars in cash because I didn't Mm -hmm. put my cigarette money in the bank and I'm still selling cigarettes but I had a hotel and it it was the the slow lockdown where Mm -hmm by appointment only, no walk-ins to, and I'm just driving and I saw a nail salon and I went and got my nails done. Mm -hmm. They were gold, glittery gold, talons, Mm -hmm. and this was my addicted mind saying, I'm not hiding anymore. Mm -hmm. Because the hands, you can't, unless you wear gloves, it was visible, Mm -hmm. you know? And so the money eventually ran out uh, my supplier says you're cut off because mm-hmm. I didn't pay my bill. So, and then I was running out of money and uh, I called my brother because we had actually started rebuilding our relationship. Mm-hmm. 
and he had been clean at this time for about 12 years. Yeah, and he was a great he was a great help for me, mm -hmm. my biggest support. I know you work at six, so I'm just checking. I uh, don't. No, I work at seven. Oh, okay, right on. I got lots of time. Don't worry about it. Perfect. Um, so he he lived in Calgary, and uh, he says, "Okay, I got a spare room. Get your ass down here, as long as you're gonna clean your shit up." So I hopped in my car, and on my way down, I phoned Michael, my counselor from our house, and he was the first person I actually came out to. Mm -hmm. I texted him a picture of my nails, mm -hmm. right? And so I get to Calgary, and I'm still using, I go to the drop down to the DI downtown mm -hmm. to get dope, because I, I, I work for the Hope Mission, I know. If you're any city you're in, find the homeless and you'll be able to find dope, mm -hmm. right? If you don't know anybody, guaranteed. Yeah. So, and I was in the tents and whatnot, and, you know, and I was telling people, so there, some of the homeless girls were doing my makeup, giving me clothes mm -hmm. and whatnot, you know. And uh, uh, I still had my car. And uh, one night I'm, I don't know, I'm parked somewhere on Memorial, mm -hmm. uh, getting high, and I, out of desperation, I called the distress line. Mm -hmm. They connected me with the Centers for Sexuality. I phoned and left a message in them, like 4 a.m. on a Sunday night. Mm -hmm. And um, on Tuesday, I got a call back from a counselor there, and I started counseling. And that's when I started, because then, then like just through conversation, I realized, like you know, I I, I had ignored those thoughts that, mm -hmm. oh, I if I want to be her, I want to have my nails done, I you know, and, and I started putting the pieces together of who I was, mm -hmm. you know. And through Skipping Stone, I was referred to or through. Uh, the, the Centers for Sexuality, they referred me to Skipping Stone, mm -hmm. where I met a girl there named Marie. And she was the pre vice president of a group called the Boring Little Girls Club. Mm -hmm. And they connected me. So, so, but back to when I came to Calgary. So I got to Calgary on March 22nd. It was a Sunday. Mm -hmm. And March 23rd, 8 a.m., Monday morning, was when the hardcore lockdown started. Mm -hmm. So I knew one person in Calgary, and I was no ability to meet anybody. Mm -hmm. So, and that's when I, you know, was using drugs at the drop-in, and mm -hmm. eventually connected with sexuality. So, like uh, within a week, it was the following weekend that I got. Ah, uh, I was I called the distress line mm -hmm. the week after, and you know I I you know I worried my brother. I disappeared for three days. He wouldn't know where I was. He'd be so worried, mm -hmm. and you know, and he's is he the, the the mistrust I I created then is still mm -hmm. still working on repairing it, but you know, so I ended up doing that counseling, and I would then it was recommended to uh, uh, Doctor Jablonski, who is one of the leading guys for trans trans okay. care in. Mm -hmm. And he put me on hormones and recommend and uh, referred me for a psychiatric evaluation. Mm -hmm. This was in June of 2020. Okay. 
So, and okay, so my clean date is June 13th of 2020. My official transition start date was June 18th. Mm -hmm. So I went through Renfrew and then I went to Landers, you know, but even, but the, the moment I had that appointment on June 18th and I took my first step to becoming who I am, mm -hmm. that's when the obsession disappeared. Just like, you know, like yeah. I still get thoughts. Yeah, of course. Don't get me wrong. But that's not an obsession. No, yeah. they, they're fleeting, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, and it's just, you know, it was, it's amazing. Like they talk about like your secrets keeping you sick, mm -hmm. or if you listen to uh, Gabor Mate, what's mm -hmm. your wound? Mm -hmm. What's the trauma? Yeah. What are you running from? Mm -hmm. Like Gabor Mate says, I don't ask an addict why they use. When I did, they'd shrug their shoulder. And just be like, I'm, a, I'm an addict. Yeah. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. So he says, he asks them, now it's not why do you use, what does it do for you? Mm -hmm. That's right. And I use that philosophy so it, it takes me away, it masks the shame, the guilt, the pain, and I was able to trace back to my, my wound. Mm -hmm. And that, that's just, you know, not being loved, not, not developing proper attachment to people. Mm -hmm. And that's still a huge part of my life because I don't know how to build a relationship. Yeah. You know, you know, like I used to tell people, I, you know, I tell people, you know, uh, you know how you used to be able to tell I was lying? My lips were moving. <laughs> I was talking. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I didn't know how to tell the truth. I didn't know what the truth was. Well, and part of it is if you tell the truth and it slips out, like for me, that's why I never told the truth because I didn't want anyone to hear me ever say it. No. Right? Like you that know, I was struggling with that, that, with sexuality, with identity. You know. Yeah. So like my road, my journey's been, but I came to realize that everything I went through had a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you know, I, I, after I got clean that in 2020, in the fall of that, I applied for school for the addiction studies with Indigenous Focus at mm -hmm. Bow Valley. Because mm -hmm. it, it goes, like I say, like when I was working for Hope Mission, that started my desire. Mm -hmm. But I didn't like just working in a shelter and we rack them and stock them. Mm -hmm. Keep them safe for the night, then we kick them out and... Don't give a shit what happens to them until they show back up at our door. You know, I spent most of my time in the intox unit when I worked at Hope Mission because mm -hmm. I, I could choose what shelter I worked in because mm -hmm. I was team lead for three different shelters, eh? And, uh, or three different programs, I guess. And I'd sit in the smoke room because we had a smoking room mm -hmm. at the time and I'd talk with the guys. And I'd try and talk, you know, I'd build relationships. And that's mm -hmm. what it's all about is... Because another thing, and I think it was 2015 when I was working, I, I, I saw a video, or 2016, after my first relapse at Hope Mission, I watched a video with uh, Johan Hari. Mm -hmm. It was called, Everything We Know About It, You Thought You Knew About Addiction Is Wrong. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about Rat Park and mm -hmm. uh, what they did in Portugal. Mm -hmm. And he said, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. Mm -hmm. The opposite of addiction is connection. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he explained that 
thousands and upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have surgeries here. They're given fentanyl, strong opioids for pain relief. But when they leave the hospital, they're not addicted. Because mm -hmm. the popular narrative up until the mid-70s when Robinson did the Rat Park mm -hmm. was that addiction drugs have a hook, a chemical hook, that if you, anybody who uses them will become addicted. I remember that's what I learned first. Yeah. And it was wrong. Yeah. 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 So it's just, if we have a proper connection, connections in our society, mm -hmm. and that's why addiction is so isolating. Mm -hmm. Addiction isolates people mm -hmm. from society, and that's how, where it works. Mm -hmm. You know, it starts out as social. Yeah. And then it cuts all your ties. <laughs> it takes your family. Yep. It takes everything away. You know. It's interesting that it uses that as an in, right? Like yeah. the, the different chemicals, I mean. For those of us who are more predisposed to addiction, I think that's where people got that idea of a chemical hook. Yeah. was because some people would get hooked to this drug, but not this one. Yeah. But the, tr the truth of the matter is we're all individuals, and our brains, bodies, hearts, souls will connect to different things, right? if we're looking for some connection. I may never have got it from gambling because I never like sat in front of a machine for that long, right? To, for something to develop. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and that's one of the things I re realized, right? Is that no matter what is, I need to find connection. And, you know, like, and, you know, I like, I had the boring little girls. They were my connection through COVID. You know, mm -hmm. I was still not comfortable in myself. Like, the, like there was no in-person meetings and all mm -hmm. that through the twelve steps, and I wasn't comfortable enough in Calgary. It was hard enough to come out as who I was yeah. to the boring little girls, but they were so accepting. Mm -hmm. I was still presenting as male. I didn't have a lot of clothes. Mm -hmm. I was just starting out, right? And uh, they accepted me as Nicole. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody, when I, I worked in a pallet yard for mm -hmm. a couple of years while I was going to school and stuff, and they knew me in the beginning as David. Mm -hmm. And, but they knew I was transgender from the day I started. Mm -hmm. And about, and then, I, you know, in the fall of 2021, I changed my name, or spring mm -hmm. of 2021, I changed my name. Mm -hmm. Or 2022. Yeah. Legally. Right on. And that, and then after that, everybody called me Nicole at work. Mm -hmm. You know, then maybe they didn't understand it, but they respected me, right? You know, and uh, but you know, I had that, you know, and then I started school, and well, probably about eight months after I came out. So mm -hmm. this would probably been March of. 2021, mm -hmm. I started, like, I'd go out, I'd do a little bit here, a little bit there, as present, wearing female clothing, but not much. I wasn't, you know, I wanted to become a girl first. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the reality is, is uh, you know, the hormones and all that don't work like that. Mm -hmm. It's a process, so, right? I, so I was going for supper with my friend Marie from Skipping Stone. We were going to the 1819, or 1918. 
um, off just off Kensington, mm. the old Legion there. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, I get there a little early, so I'm sitting on the bench because we have reservations, and I, I'm wearing a skirt and have a wig on, and and I had such high anxiety, such fear. You know, I thought everybody's laughing at me, everybody's pointing, what a freak. Mm -hmm. This is all in my mind though. So we get in and we're, you know, we're having coffee and a non-alcoholic beverage because mm -hmm. uh, she's in recovery too. And um, she's, I say to her, I, I guess I, I need to talk about the, these feelings because I can't bottle them up. I'm mm -hmm. in recovery, I know better. Mm -hmm. You know, I need someone to talk to. So I, I tell her, and um, she puts her hand on mine, looks me in the eyes, and, the, and these words were huge in my, in my accepting who I was. Mm. She says, oh honey, you're not that important. Nobody gives a fuck about you, yeah. for the most part. You get a few small-minded individuals who will say something, or, but chances are you know, they're few and far between, and that's mm. been my experience. I've had a few. You know, they're thinking about their cat who is, who is puking this morning. Mm -hmm. They're worried about their kids and uh, getting Where they left into their volleyball practice yeah. or uh, how they're going to pay their rent or whatever. They got mm -hmm. their own lives to worry about. You, you're just something that they, they maybe they do a t double take on you and then they yeah. keep walking. Because they're back I to never thinking about their about keys. Yeah. So that's when I realized mm -hmm. that, sure, do I, do I want validation from other people? Yeah, I, yeah, who sure. doesn't? Yeah, especially when but you're transitioning. Can, yeah, but I get my validation from myself. Mm -hmm. And I've come to realize with a lot of these vo really vocal trans people who saying you will validate me, you mm -hmm. will use my, you know, yeah. that, that they, they don't validate, they haven't been able to validate, they don't get their validation from themselves. Mm -hmm. They need it from other people because they're still quite, they're, they're not yeah. confident in who they are. I, I've become, that one statement from Marie was a revelation in that it says, I can't rely on other people for my validation. Mm -hmm. That'll keep me in my, that'll, that'll drive me back to drinking. Because eventually it'll make you feel like you're wrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I get my validation from myself. I get misgendered. Mm -hmm. I don't freak out. Mm -hmm. I say, excuse me. Mm -hmm. You know, just yeah. to let them know, and, and the rea and a lot of times I know I'm a little bit twisted and sick. I'll do it just to watch their reaction, and I'll t and I'll snicker, I'll laugh at myself because I, I at their being uncomfortable. Yeah. But then then I'll then I'll say, don't worry about it. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell them I get my validation from myself. I appreciate if you will use the proper pronouns and whatnot when referring to me. Yeah. You know, and like, like, and then like when I was at Bow Valley, they have gender neutral bathrooms, mm -hmm. but not on every floor. So if I had the chance to use the gender neutral bathroom, I would. Mm -hmm. But if, if not, I would use women's. Yeah. Right. But I wouldn't hang out in there. Yeah. You you're know, not going to hang out in there. You make, know, yeah, I and did. I never had problems. Yeah. And that's like if I, when I went to the Y, mm -hmm. like when I wanted to get a gym. So I did some research. And, and, and um, I won't use a, fem a female-only change room, mm -hmm. you know, because I still have male parts. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I don't, and why should I expect someone to accommodate me and feel uncomfortable or, or feel threatened? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's not, that's not being, mm -hmm. you know, so I'll go to the Y instead mm -hmm. where they have a uh, common area for male, female, whatever, mm -hmm. lockers with individual chain stalls. Yeah. You know, that, that's my way of validating who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, you know, because I, 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 it bothers me that they, like, and forcing people to accept stuff that makes them uncomfortable mm -hmm. isn't fair. Yeah. And that's where we're getting the blowback against transgender because we're forcing and making it, you know, mm -hmm. whereas we're not working with people to get acceptance into the community. Mm -hmm. We're we're forcing our way in. Yeah. Now, if we're if we're more diplomatic and trying, you well, know, because there are there are there are a certain amount of mm -hmm. trans people who are pedophiles, who are perverts, who are there for the wrong reasons. But there's a certain percentage of every demographic exactly that is a problem. Yeah. And so to to narrow it down to the the um, continuum, whatever you want to call it, of the two spirit. LGBTQ, two SA plus, blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah, two SA plus, but like to narrow it down to just that, um, it's not fair. No, right? It's not fair because this is why it's so damaging when people put this label of like pedophilia on someone who's queer. Part of the damage is that yes, you're absolutely right. There's going to be a percentage of those folks who are problems. But right? like you say, that's an I, I wasn't. I should have added that caveat that that's oh, okay. in every population. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm glad, I'm glad you <coughs> but, mentioned but, that. But the thing about it is, is there's a, that, that, that population is using what other people are trying to do in positive, yeah. to uh, gain acceptance for the trans movement, yeah. are using that as a way to indulge in their mm -hmm. depravity. Well, and the part of that problem seems to be that when, when the vocal ones, the folks that you're talking about, that are putting a negative connotation <coughs> on some of this stuff, when they speak out so regularly, the they they they, they, they the we, folks we have no idea. That. They damage our our, yeah. our cause. Yeah, they do because folks outside of the queer community like the, and, and and it's not only damage the transgender agenda; mm -hmm. it's the LGBTQ period. The whole thing because now you're getting a ban like yeah. the pride, like blah, 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 and everything, and mm -hmm. it's just because it is forcing it. Yep. Because people are scared, and you mentioned it yeah, earlier, like fear. they get really scared about things they don't understand, and especially things that they've already been told were bad. So like now, there's all this stuff in the forefront that people have been told was wrong for their whole life. So now they see it every day and they're mad because they were told it was wrong, mm -hmm. okay? It was never wrong. It was never okay for people to tell people that it was wrong. The reality is though, as, we as we've talked about, Fear motivates this continu the continual perpetuation of that stereotype so that it discredits anyone coming from those different demographics, yeah. right? Right before they even speak. As soon as, as soon as you find out I'm bisexual, people might think that I'm a pervert. Whatever they're assuming. And, you, and then you get right? a trans person like me. I, mm -hmm. I'm not an activist. I'm not a, you know, mm -hmm. I'll speak up for myself. Yeah. But I just want to live. 100%. That's what most people want to do. I just want to have my life. I, think that's what most I want to go want. to work. My name is Nicole, and mm -hmm. I want to go home and have a quiet life. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to be, and like, and you know, and the fear is spreading. Mm -hmm. You know, and 
you know, all the strides we've made with pride and all that yeah. are, are we're, 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 we're going backwards right now, mm-hmm. you know, and it's because of the fear, mm-hmm. you know. Well, we've, there's been a lot, and I shouldn't say we, um, what I say, what's happened is those folks who are afraid are in mass, right? Because we're more vocal now than we've ever been. We're more accepted now than we've ever been. And that scares people more, like some people. Yeah. Some people are just fine, right? And I would say most people are okay. Much yeah. like, like we're talking about that small percentage of activists that give maybe a problem name to stuff. That percentage, though, is there for a reason, to make sure that we don't disappear, right? Yeah. In the meantime, the rest of us, like most of us, we just want to live, right? We want to be able to yeah. live our lives, be free exactly. to do. Um, but the reason we need those activists, even if they're coloring things in a negative way, is it... Because it keeps it in the lime, it keeps it in the light. It keeps yeah. us from going back into the dark closets, the the bathhouses, and all the places where we had to go. Yeah. Into a place now where we can be in the sunlight, and we don't have to. Yeah, shame exactly. Him, right. Yeah. No, it's so true, though. But yeah, uh, but anyways, to finish my story, so I uh, ended up. I, like I said, I applied for school, mm-hmm. you know, about four months after I got accepted and I started, and when, so like I said, like with the, the dinner with Marie, where she told me I'm not that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I started, I started dressing more like when I was going grocery shopping mm-hmm. and whatnot. At first I started just dressing when I was going to out socializing and all mm-hmm. that, right? I'd start embracing Nicole and mm-hmm. you know but if I'm if I was just doing running around I'd go boy mode mm-hmm. right because you know now I, now I enjoy the process of getting mm-hmm. dressed I, you know I, I, I take my time but when I went to back finally in March in September 2020 or end of August I started school mm-hmm. and I made the decision I'm going to school Nicole's going to school mm-hmm. but I was registered at, under my dad name mm-hmm. and uh, I talked to the registrar and he says, well, we will honor your preferred name, mm-hmm. right? But unofficial record, you're, we can't do anything about it. At this point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So my first class, I go in and this just so the teacher has an idea of who's who, they mm-hmm. go do a roll call Yeah. and they call David. I stand up. I said, actually, could you please call me Nicole? There was a young lady sitting in front of me. I said, yeah, could you please call me? I, I, I prefer the name Nicole. Could you please refer to me as that? And all I heard from her was, <gasps> mm. Turns out her name was Nicole. Oh. S. Okay. <laughs> Your buddy. <laughs> Your friend, too. Yes, our, our friend, our yes, mutual friend, yeah. sorry. So, but But anyways, I think you know her better than I do. So. Anyways, um... We're, we're actually we're very good friends mm-hmm. it was just she just caught it was caught off guard right mm-hmm. you know and like I, I always bug her she says how dare that person choose my name <laughs> is the thought that yeah that I heard her yeah. it, that 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 <laughs> deep intake of breaths really that is pretty funny I gotta be honest so I was very well accepted by all my classes mm-hmm. you know they got to know me you know and they got mm-hmm. to know who I was as a person yeah Instead of, because let's be honest, I'm 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 five eleven and two hundred and twenty plus pounds. Mm-hmm. I have a deep voice. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've done, I've gone to speech pathologists and all mm-hmm. that. And my voice is at the lower range for the average male mm-hmm. to start with. Yeah. And through smoking all that crack, and I've damaged my vocal cords, there's no repairing them. Mm-hmm. So the chances of me ever having a feminine voice are very, very, very low. Mm-hmm. I might be able to raise it, it with a lot of work, mm-hmm. but so I'm looking at surgical options. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay. Yeah. You know. Well, standing up in that I, class I'll, and telling them you prefer Nicole, that is a sign of like great courage. Yeah. Right? And even just walking into the classroom. The first, yeah, the first step. Because trust me, I didn't look as good as I do now. I, <laughs> I, I didn't put myself together as mm. well. Because I did it all on my own through COVID. I didn't have yeah. a. I didn't grow up as a teen girl, mm-hmm. experimenting with wit makeup with my with mm-hmm. my with, with all my girlfriends and yeah. you know and I, so I did a lot you know, I did a lot of my own you know mm-hmm. developed my own style became who I am. Right on. You know I can't believe how much clothes I have. I can. <laughs> it's, well, I mean, Nicole's been waiting. Yeah. Right. She's been waiting. Yeah. She's been waiting to have the clothes she needs, the clothes she wants, even you know, just the clothes you like, right? And like, and like I say, when you asked me to do this, I said, sure, because I believe that if I'm, like you're saying, the courage to talk about it mm-hmm. and how you appreciate how open I am, mm-hmm. that's part of my recovery because, mm-hmm. like I said, fear, shame, guilt, and all those negative emotions ruled my life for so long. Mm-hmm. I've, I, and... With what when uh, when I was told, oh honey, you're not that important, mm-hmm. has taught me a philosophy of my life that if I'm afraid to talk about something or unwilling to mm-hmm. talk, why? Yeah. Is there still shame associated with that? Mm-hmm. Is there fear of being judged? You know, you can judge me all you want, mm-hmm. but if I allow that judgment to affect how I live my life then I'm giving you power over me. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, that's a you problem if you don't like who I am. Agreed. Not a me problem. Agreed. You know, yeah. if you can't accept who I am, well, there's another you problem, not mm-hmm. a me problem. Yeah. I can accept who I am. And and that's amazing for for a lady who is a couple years in recovery, right? Like now steady. Yeah, um, yeah, June of 2020. You've, you've been now. in for a long time, so I'm not assuming you don't I, know I, my, stuff. My first attempt is over 25 years. So like 28 the, years now. That the I've, fact that you're already at a place in your first couple years now where you're w- more willing to accept, and I know the process is not easy, and I know that that 25 plus years has been hard, right? Because what, regardless of what the identity difficulties, challenges, are, like for myself those things are pretty ongoing sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. They just keep happening, you just have to deal with it. I just have to deal with it. Um, but it's a part of that growth. And like, I'm grateful to see that you're like into it so early, right? Even though I know for you, it probably feels so late, right? <laughs> but like, as a person who's been sober for 19 years, and only recently over the last couple for myself become more visibly openly queer, um, it, it really is encouraging to those folks who are younger coming in that there's more and more of us openly queer folks, right? Whether trans women, trans men, trans um, non-binary, all the different things that are changing. And even within the program that you and I go to, um, there's things that are changing. 
Of course. Right? And, and those... you know, and like I finished school, I, yeah. you know, I did well. You know, I didn't, I wasn't valedictorian. Yeah, most but people are. a friend of mine yeah. was, and he's also in the LGBTQ plus community. Okay. So, but he was the first addiction studies student at Bow Valley to ever make valedictorian. Good for the them. community studies program, yeah. that that's nursing and mm -hmm. child development and everything. So, right it was a, but after I graduated, like I like I did practicum at Aware, mm -hmm. doing street outreach. That was awesome. And then I, my second practicum in my second year was with Alpha House. Right on. And they hired me after I graduated. Right on. Because you need a two, and I worked in the detox at nights. Mm -hmm. So. You know, and I get a lot of looks from some clients when they first come in. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've told clients numerous times, ask me. Mm -hmm. If you have a question, ask me. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you. I think it's pretty cool now that we can, now that we're starting to open up our minds, like collectively to some extent. Obviously, there's always going to be biases oh. and bigots, mm -hmm. right? That's of one of those things that is probably going to be here. Um, but more and more places are opening their minds to the idea that, first of all, two-spirit plus LGBTQ humans are have all kinds of intelligence, like capabilities. We're, We're humans, right? Like these things are becoming more and more. I mean, I have to. It feels weird that I have to like say this out loud, but it's be only because we're only now becoming more and more accepted as just humans, people, right? People. As opposed to oh. We can't trust those queer folks, right? Like those perverts. Yeah, exactly. And that. Oh, I'm doing air quotes. So I know. I so perverts, I, I always say that too when we're doing this. I'm like, by the way, there was air quotes there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. But it's it's true. We're just we're just humans, and, and all of us are humans. And every human out there, whether they I, whether they say anything or not, is going through stuff that's theirs, right? Yeah. Um, and we just happen to be going through stuff, our identity stuff that is in direct contradiction to what a lot of people think things should be, right? Now, just because it's not what they think it should be doesn't mean it shouldn't be, right? So we know that because we are that. You know, and is my hard. life better now? Oh, definitely, because I'm not hiding. Yeah. I'm not in addiction. Mm -hmm. To that extent, is my life without struggles? No. No, of course not. I struggle every day. I, mm -hmm. I You know, I still, I, I know who I am and all that, but... I sometimes get that the, that thought is is this what I'm doing right? Mm -hmm. And then I remember yes, mm -hmm. I remember who how I was before. Yeah, you know. And if I wasn't how I am now or who I am now, mm -hmm. I'd be that way. And that's not a way to live. I was I was I was waiting to die. Yeah, that's our pathway to death, right there. Yeah, it's yeah. A, you know. But I've also come to realize that I wasn't ready twenty years ago to be mm -hmm. Nicole. You know, I, you I, it, 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 it happened when it happened for a reason. Every every struggle I went through, every negative experience is actually a positive. And that's mm -hmm. one thing I've also learned is, and I and I tell my clients at, at, well, at Detox is, there's no such thing as a completely negative experience. Mm -hmm. You relapse. Don't get down on yourself. Mm -hmm. Take two steps back from the incident and look at it. And what did you learn? Mm -hmm. And what key, what positive can you take from it? Mm -hmm. Okay, well you relapse. Okay, how? Mm -hmm. Well, I went here with this guy at this time. Well, okay, so you learn not to go to a bar mm -hmm. with your old drinking buddies at happy <laughs> hour. Yeah. Okay, there's the positive. So mm -hmm. you know what not to do next time. Mm -hmm. 
So you, that so that what that relapse wasn't a negative experience. It was a learning experience. Mm. It you still know? may have had negative consequences oh, that yeah. came along with it, right? But, but it doesn't mean it's but wrong not, or bad. But now you're not looking ever. Now you're not yeah. down on yourself because you, yeah. you're a fuck up. You can never do it. I can't do anything right. Well, I don't know how to word this except for wording it like this. But if you're an alcoholic or an addict, uh, a relapse, quote unquote, um, is not the worst thing that you can do. Like, in as a matter of fact, it's the most common thing we do is relapse. And so, well, when you look at an addict, why would we shame each other for that? What's normal for an addict to use? Yeah. Yeah. So, so every day I don't use. Mm -hmm. I'm doing something against my my Your my brain. innate nature. It's become innate for sure. Yeah. Right to protect that fear that we have. Yeah, mm -hmm. but that that's just it. And mm -hmm. you know, like I said, like throughout my recovery for three years, I did it without AA. Mm -hmm. I had the boring little girls. I had school. I had that. Mm -hmm. I had those social connections. But uh, come, we come to, uh, I guess March mm -hmm. of beginning of March and school was ending middle of April and I realized I was going to lose a huge social connection. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and I realized from what I saw uh, from uh, Johan Hari mm -hmm. or, or Johan, yeah, Hari, uh, that connection was vital to my recovery. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started going back to AA. Now I'm, I, I spent a year and a half as Nicole going to school. Mm -hmm. I've lived, you know, I never go out without putting the makeup on, my wig mm -hmm. and clothes, because and, that's who I am now. Mm -hmm. I, and actually, I feel uncomfortable going okay. out. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't wear my, I don't, on a mm -hmm. Saturday, if I'm not going out, I don't. You don't have to. No, <laughs> I don't get all dressed yourself, up. Yeah. yeah, you know, but, you know, and uh, it's um, who I am now. Mm. And as I was saying, so uh, I started going to AA meetings, mm -hmm. and I went to one on a Friday night. It was a speaker meeting out by off, uh, just by the, oh, out by, uh, just off uh, Crowchild, mm. and uh, I forget what it's called. Oh, um, you know the one I mean. The Curry Barracks. Yeah. Up there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Glenmore. Uh, yeah, and uh, I went there, and I met a girl there. And she invited me to the recovery group. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, just off McLeod, just on McLeod, right by the Carlos Jr. there. And there's meetings there every night. Mm -hmm. But she invited me to the Saturday morning women's group. Okay, now I, I'm, I'm just, oh, okay, that's a women's only space, blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. so I went there. And uh, one of the group members is uh, a, a, an elderly, like she's 91. Her name's Katie, and she volunteers at, I've seen her volunteer, like when I was doing my practicum at Alpha, mm -hmm. I saw her, she volunteers in the kitchen, mm -hmm. and she actually did the, the women's meeting, because Detox mm -hmm. Thursday morning, or Thursday mornings at the time had a, uh, a women's group. Okay. And two women, two of the members of this group uh, would facilitate it every week. Mm -hmm. And one of them, and now I started going to the meeting, and she recognized me from Alpha House, and she asked me to if I could. Uh, one of them was going to Palm Springs, mm -hmm. so she asked me if I wanted to sit in. So I cleared it with the my practicum director, and I, then I did. So I facilitated. I, I chaired that meeting. Mm -hmm. 
for about a month and a half until I got hired, and then mm -hmm. I, then I was no longer allowed to because it was yeah. a conflict of interest because I was staff now, mm -hmm. and stuff might be revealed in the meeting or or being there might have stopped somebody from sharing something they mm -hmm. needed to share because they were staff because there was staff there now, mm -hmm. right? So I did that, and then you know, mm -hmm. but like. When I'm interacting with the clients, I tell them to that they need to figure out their wound. Mm -hmm. They need to be honest. And I said, if you don't believe me, ask me anything about who I am mm -hmm. or about my story. And I'll tell them. Mm -hmm. Flat out. I appreciate that very much about you. You know, and, like, and I say, and it's because I lived in that fear and shame and whatnot for so many years mm -hmm. that I've I realized and I've had that. Uh, that aha moment mm. and that, that you've referred to and you say you're impressed and that is true because it takes a lot of addicts and or alcoholics and a lot of years in recovery sometimes to get to that point very much so yeah but like I say I've been through so many like I've been through treatment mm -hmm. you know you know how many groups I sat in <laughs> like I, I did our house a year long mm -hmm. I did the breakout pro program twice or three times mm -hmm. that's a year long I've done six month programs. I've, yeah. you know, so in 25 years, I've probably spent five yeah. years in treatment. Wow. Yeah, that's like, that's like a university degree. You have a degree in treatment. Well, yeah. That and uh, the 40 years of field research I did. That's right. You have research plus you have your doctorate that you yeah. did in but school. But it's, it's just like, so if, like if, if, I, if I'm afraid to talk about my life and its experiences, mm -hmm. I'm still living in shame. Mm-hmm. And I can't afford that in my life. Yeah. And and it's it's it, it sounds simple. Mm. Yeah. But it's not easy. Sometimes they do ask a question and there's anxiety. Mm -hmm. But I realize that that's more of my honesty. Mm -hmm. I've said, ask me anything. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, and the anxiety for me when it comes up when people are talking about it or asking me stuff, it's only from the past, my anxiety. It's not about now. Because when I think about it and I process it, it's like, oh, I don't care what these folks think. This was from when I was a kid, when I couldn't talk about it. No, it's like when you're doing a step five. Yeah. You have all this anxiety that you're such a bad person. Mm -hmm. Then you get through it and... And the person shakes your it, hand and says, nice to meet you. Is that all you got? <laughs> or whatever, because they've heard yeah. so much, they've heard worse, right? Yeah. Is that all you got? Yeah, that's it, eh? Okay. <laughs> oh, whatever. I thought yeah. it was going to be juicy. <laughs> so we're coming up to an hour and a half. Um, and uh, I just want to make sure we don't miss anything. Is there anything else no, you want to talk about? There's minutia and details. This has been but, amazing, though. But, like, I, I hope I communicated an overall message. Oh, so, so much. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciate it. You know, because I could, I could go into a lot of stories, but, like, a few of the stories I wanted, I really wanted was, like, mm -hmm. the, the, the ability to manipulate to, mm -hmm. a, a, and about the shame and the guilt, mm -hmm. it, it, where, you know, because we, like, we manipulate, as addicts, I can speak for myself, I always have to remind myself not mm -hmm. to say we, but I was able to manipulate everything. Mm -hmm. And in my recovery, I still manipulate. Yeah. I still catch myself falling on those, you know, because those defects of character were essential to survival. Mm -hmm. They were survival. You know, and, and it's hard to it was it's hard for me to break some of those survival skills because I don't live in that world anymore. I don't mm -hmm. need to live in that world. But it was like I say, 
I started my addiction in 20, uh, 20 or, or 1981, 82. Mm-hmm. And it's 40 years later. Yeah. yeah. And it was 2021 or 2020 before I started recovery. Mm-hmm. I had six years where I didn't use my drug of choice, mm-hmm. but I wasn't in recovery. Yeah. I was, I was just an addict without drugs. Mm-hmm. I was still getting drunk. Yeah. I, I, you know, I drink. Mm-hmm. I'd have three drinks. I'd only allow myself three drinks. Mm-hmm. But did you know there's only six drinks in a 40-pounder? <laughs> I did. I knew that. You got six out of it. Yeah, it lasted me two days. I might get four drinks out of that bottle. But, but I don't, like, uh, and, and, you know, six drinks and six cans of Pepsi for mix. Yeah, that's right. You know, because I had one of those big mason cups. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I'd uh, put like that much vo- rum in it, yeah. and I'd top it off with a can of Pepsi. Yeah. It's crazy what we so, used to survive. But, you know, it was like, and that's, and that's how I justified my drinking. Well, I'm mm-hmm. only having three after work. Just a Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, yeah. and so that's why I say I, I've only, like, you know, I've had periods of sobriety. Mm-hmm. But I haven't had recovery. Yeah, I, I didn't get that either till I like got sobered up. But you know, because because I, 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 I didn't I had I had sobriety, but I didn't have connection mm-hmm. until I I until this time around when I joined the boring. That was my first real sense of connection because mm-hmm. I never had familial like even now, yeah. you know I talk to my sister. Twice a year, Christmas mm-hmm. and her birthday and my birthday, so three times a year. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we were never a close family. And, and that's I'm, sad, I'm sorry to hear that, but it, it sounds like it was it's what you it needed to be. So it it, it was become, what it was. Yeah, it was it good? Was it bad? No. Well, it was mm-hmm. what it was. Yeah. To 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 put a label on it doesn't change it. Well, and I and think that's it's the too thing narrow about the anyway. Past. Yeah. You know, the past is written, mm-hmm. and that's where. The, 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 I, I always forget what page is 417, 419, or 421. Mm-hmm. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems mm-hmm. today. Acceptance was what was, what I did, what was done to me, and to give it the power it has, it needs to have, is mm-hmm. none. You know, it happened, yes. Mm-hmm. Can I change what happened? No. Can I accept what happens? I have to. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can, once, if, once I'm able to accept it, it loses its power to influ- influence mm-hmm. my future, my present. Yeah. It, it, it stays in the past. I'm not living in that moment anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's huge for an addict, is to get past that moment that I was stuck in for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Or those moments, or that feeling, or that guilt, or that shame that kept me prisoner for yeah. so many years. And, get, and it comes right down to acceptance and connection the combination of those two are the path to life, to mm-hmm. recovery. 